right now for the podcast listeners only, we're offering $5 off each ticket purchased on Formula Drift website by using FD Podcast when you check out. That is FD Podcast. I don't know if you need to capital the FD, but try it either way. So head over to formuladrift.com, pick up the tickets, then enter code FD Podcast, get $5 off all eight events this year. It's our 20th season. Head over. If you're going, save five bucks. Might as well. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Outer Zone. My name is Jacob Gettens, and we have Mr. Odie Bakshi's on. How is everything going, sir? Going great, man. Just got done working on the car. It's an excuse to, to finish working for the day. Yeah, what, what, time do you, <laughs> what time do you normally clock out at? I know um, as somebody who runs their own business, like I put in probably more hours than I should, but like what do you average in a day? Um, eight hours minimum, but that's like if everything's very peachy, we do eight, eight hours Um yeah, I'd say 10 is is like kind of a norm. If you count all the time administrative stuff on the keyboard and and then the actual wrenching and then driving to one facility to another, 10 hours yeah. easy. Are you Don't ask what I did in the off season. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's it's crazy sometimes like you just lose absolutely lose track of of the time in the day. There's been multiple times where like my wife's come downstairs and she's like, "Hey, uh it's 9 p.m. I don't know if you knew that." And I was like, "No, I didn't. Uh cool. I'll be up to have dinner now." <laughs> like yeah, I think, I mean, if it wasn't for my wife, I would just, I don't think I'd ever stop working, like, until I'd go, like, man, there's something wrong with my body right now. I need to, like, chill out. But I'm sure your wife keeps you, like, out of the office as well, so. Yeah, I, until keeps, I, Keeps like, us healthy. Until, until I hired her, and now she works for me, so it's not any better. There's times now, like, even tonight, I had to go up and be like, hey, uh, let's uh, let's wrap things up. We're good to go. So, it's uh, it's good. I mean, I I feel like we're both in the same boat of, like, having our wives entangled in both like general wife life and then also the business side. Yeah. It's so hard to turn that off, man. I'll be honest. Like my wife is, is my best friend. She's also my business partner. So there's times like you just, you're out of nowhere. You're like, Oh, you know, Hey, about that invoice or that thing sitting in accounts receivable. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Do you, do you do, I know with, with us, we'll be like, we'll try not to talk about, like, it's it's almost impossible. Like, we'll try not to talk about work outside of, like, general working hours. But there's the f- a few days where I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm good. Let's not get into it tonight. Like, it's been a long day. Let's do anything other than talk about work. Yeah, we, we conscientiously sometimes, like, set those rules. Or, like, sometimes I'm just like, I've, I'm, like, really just had a mental, like, draining day. And I just warn her like, Hey, like, let's just like not talk about anything work related right now. Like I, I got to turn off for at least a, like two or three hours before uh, the end of the day. Yeah. But, what do you, what do you do in your, like, like the three, four hours of, of life that you normally get outside work? <laughs> uh, I'm never completely disconnected. You know, we have manufacturers in uh, overseas in Taiwan that I got to deal with. So my evening is there. Like they're, they're always like, Hey, good morning, Odie. I'm like, Dude, it's like 9 p.m., man, but I just go with it. Yeah. Um, but hang out with the kids, man. I got to I gotta put time in with the kids. So either watching Bluey or uh, just engaging, like playing with toy monster trucks with my little dude or just whatever I can. And, you know, I feel guilty of not doing that enough every time. So, you know, putting a puzzle together last night, you know, just gotta oh, nice. do whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah, the, the like the parenting guilt is so real sometimes. Like I, I, I'll get back on a Sunday afternoon or something like that. And, and like my kind of rule now is everything goes in my office. I unload and then that's it. Like I don't even unpack it. I just go back upstairs, 
hang out with everybody. And like, at least the rest of that evening is for family. Yeah, it's tough to set that time aside, especially when you have multiple businesses, a lot of things going on, a lot of cool stuff that you're super passionate about, you know? It's yeah. Like, but you gotta, as a as a father, man, you gotta segment that day out and that's just how it works. Yeah, you, you've got your kids on the, on the road a fair bit though. Like you kind of, you bring the adventure whenever possible. I have to, man. If I didn't do that, I just feel like I'd be missing out on their, on, on the, their childhood, on, on, on fatherhood, you know? So yeah. I think we, we were a, mo- a solid month away from home in between what, um, well, actually, yeah, le- leaving to Georgia, I took my daughter with me on the road. Okay. My wife stayed back. And then for a solid month, almost, uh, I was with my daughter. She was on the East coast with me. She is homeschooled. My wife's like super good about that. So it allows us the gives us the flexibility to travel together and hang out together. And, you know, it's the only way I could get through and keep the family structure together, I think at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. That's like that. However you have to build out that support structure is like, is so critical. That's, that was, it was basically the reason why my wife joined the company was because like what other job is going to give her the amount of time off she needs so I can go and do, you know, all of this stuff like that, that, that job doesn't exist. I remember that, that, that pivotal moment where I was just like, I, I don't want Amy working at her employer's like office anymore. Like this is just, it's spreading us too thin, you know, like, and the time was right. Everything came together. Like our businesses were grown. So it was, we needed more help we could afford it. So it helps, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, and it's such a weird time too. Cause you're like doing the math and you're like, well, actually you only make like, (laughs) $40 $40 a day because we have to put kids in daycare or do this or move them to this spot. Like it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird decision. Yeah. So. Time on road commuting. Oh man. It's all don't, I don't like the, the way things were in the past, man. It's uh, yeah. I could gladly say like the way everything's working out, the structure is, is great. So yeah. And, and you guys were like high school sweethearts, weren't you? Or is it high school or at college? Yeah, high school we met. Uh, we were dating other people, but we we met. We we're friends. Uh, you know, college things got serious, and uh, here we are still. So, is yeah. that uh, is that like your test patient for dental school? Was was Amy like that? Was that's how you got your in? You're like, let me just check your molars. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that, but uh, <laughs> she's uh, yeah. I mean, we 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 just uh, we clicked, you know. Uh, and what's weird is she was completely different. Like mm. she's like the biology student, like super into chemistry, like ecology. And I'm just like, ah, oh, man, <laughs> like mechanical engineering. And then, um, yeah, I, I, I guess she, she, she was the one that kept me out of trouble in school and college. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you kind of need that person, you know, to make sure you're not, you know, going out to too many parties or acting too crazy. Yeah, no, I was definitely the bad influence, but yeah, we kept each other in check. <laughs> That's good. And then you guys, I guess from there moved, like what what was your, I think everybody is kind of aware of a bit of the motocross side of things. So I definitely want to get into that. But I think the part that doesn't get talked about enough is is that kind of rally stint you did for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting you bring a motocross because that overlaps with Amy. She was like, you know, super good student and I would, ditch almost every Thursday of high school to go ride at my, one of my favorite motocross tracks. And I started like telling her, Hey, come with me and pulling her mm. out of school. So one of the bad influences and, but yeah, after high school, when I started getting a little bit more money together, um, 
you know, working my butt off. I bought a rally car. I was always like super into automotive things. And since a little kid playing with toy cars and I was always into cars, um, my dad kind of like put me and my brother in motocross. He liked it. He didn't get to do that when he was a kid. So he kind of pushed us into it and I loved it. But I always had like deep down, like a serious urge for automotive stuff. So that's where, you know, I, as soon as I got into college and started making a little bit of money, I, I got into cars and rally came about. And that was a uh, Eagle Talon. Yeah. Yeah. It was an Eagle Talon. The way rally America was structured is that you had to run a two wheel drive car, uh, in order to get enough coefficients to run like a all wheel drive car and oh. to even run like a turbocharged car, like a group five car. So we, found a front wheel drive Eagle Talon, ran it naturally aspirated for until I could get my coefficients. And then I could do like some of the bigger events in a turbo car. Then we put a turbo motor in it. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Amy was my co-driver. Naturally, she followed everything uh, that yeah. I did. And it was a good time, man. It was, it was fun. It was learned a lot of car control and, you know, just like the discipline of, of racing, right? Like just budgeting and, uh, working on the car and, and just logistics, all, all that stuff is, it, it was a great learning curve for me for sure. Hmm. Yeah. I never, I never realized you had to stage it at, like mind the pun, but like stage it out like that where it had to be two wheel drive NA and then you had to work out. I guess that makes sense though. So people aren't just building monsters and, you know, going I, off I into the do, forest. I honestly always thought like rallies, like just overly cautious and safe and, and it makes sense, <laughs> right? Like there's like really yeah. fast cars this and that, but it's like, out here in the U.S., I feel like it, it maybe um, it was a little overkill. Like, you know, there, a lot of these people weren't like driving crazy cars on really crazy stages and putting themselves in harm. But, you know, safety first, I guess. So we just we just have to follow the rules. I think NASA didn't have that uh, stipulation, but okay. a lot of the events in my region were Rally America at the time. So, you know, it, it all worked out, man. It was, it was fun. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think. It's it's always interesting understanding where different drivers come from, from like racing disciplines and, and how that either impacts their style or what they know or what they've been able to develop. Like, um, you know, motocross is, is huge. Like the, the amount of guys that have come from that, uh, a lot of it's, you know, bad crashes, things like that. And then they're, then they're like, yeah, okay, I'm cool. Like, I'm good. I want to keep my back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Motocross hurt. And that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> But it was, it was fun. I always like remember riding as like a kid, as a teenager. And I was like, I'm never going to quit riding. It's like, this is the best thing in my life. And I still love it, man. I, I, I would ride all the time, but now I, I just don't want to get like wadded up and have to sit out a Formula D round realistically. So, um, yeah, motocross is a great sport, man. It's a great entry gate. It's a good gateway into anything with engines, clutches, you know, shifting like it's suspension suspension like it's <laughs> yeah. it's awesome man it it toughens you up that's for sure yeah and i i think it's as much as it's expensive like it's not that bad no uh, no man it, it's i don't know what it is now i remember buying yeah. uh like yz125 brand new from the dealer for like 4700 bucks out the door i don't think you do that these days i think these no. bikes are crazy expensive but yeah that was super accessible super easy um you know, my, my dad was super into it. We actually owned a business together. It was uh, called Zeal Racing. It was a motorcycle shop. So it just like was the coolest uh, thing ever to me at the time. And it was a great stage of my life. Like, you know, that 
that was a super fun family sport. My brother raced as well. He did really well. He did better than I did. He's uh, younger than me. And um, yeah, he just trained super hard. So it was, it was a fun time in my life. Yeah. Is, is that where field developed originally was just trying to make better suspension for, for bikes? Yeah. Uh, during high school, I convinced my dad to uh, allow me to take these like suspension seminars when I was riding motocross a lot. Um, I think it was either during spring break or I just disappeared from a week of high school to go take these seminars. And uh, we started uh, modifying our own forks and shocks to make them work better, to revalve them like to suit our needs. And our friends were like, hey, hook me up. And then, you know, a little bit later down the road, about a year later, my three-car garage was full of customer bikes and there was no space <laughs> for anything else. And um, it just kind of spiraled into a business that was solely to tune uh, motocross suspension. We moved it out of our garage to uh, an industrial building. My dad quit his engineering job so we can just pursue that. He wow. was a really good engine builder um, from childhood. He built race motors. He kind of sacrificed his whole racing career when we were born, uh, like me and my brother and stuff. So, uh, that was boat racing, wasn't it? Yeah. Hydroplane. Yeah, hydroplane. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, but he, we, we kind of got him back into it, I, I guess in a way, because we were super stoked about riding motocross. So he started that business with, with me, uh, Zeal racing. And it just like, you know, it was back to motorsports, you know, there was a little hiatus for him away from motorsports and then, and back at it. And yeah, we rode that out for quite a bit. My dad actually sold that business a handful of years ago and it's still doing really well. That's cool. Uh, yeah. And he's just doing side work, building race motors and stuff and building stuff on my cars. Anytime I need anything, he's super good with carbon Kevlar and stuff like that from say, the, the hydroplane yeah. days. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard he's quite the, the, the repair body man. So yeah, he got tired of me annihilating front bumpers and then they were <laughs> I was using a European brand for body kits and it was tough to get them. So he just created his own mold of a front bumper. So the front bumper you see on my car is actually the mold is created by my dad. It's like a one-off thing and he just oh. makes me bumpers when I need them. So he's in Europe now, so we're on a dry spell. <laughs> he's coming back. We need some more bumpers made. Is that is that one of those things where you're like, hey, uh, when you're back, like we're gonna need a few. Just you know, it's been a rough couple weekends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. It's, it's cool. Like when it's a part of the family, um, you know, just that, that urge to like get into it or the support I think is the biggest thing, right? Like it's a parent who understands. Yeah. He gets it. He probably knows more maybe about certain facets of racing and being away from home, being away from family than I do. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he traveled a lot in a time in Europe when it wasn't, as easy maybe to, to travel and, and all that. So yeah, it's, it's nice to have people like that in your family where you can like kind of express your struggles and, and they don't just stare at you. <laughs> they, yeah. they actually get it, you know? Yeah. So where did the, the feel name come from then? Um, so when we had the shop called zeal racing, I had like the whole suspension segment of that business, uh, had a good clientele base there. And then I pulled my name out of that partnership because I went off to college. I didn't want to have anything to do with the retail sales aspect that we were, uh, a part of. I didn't want to have anything to do with racing engines. So I pulled my name out of the partnership and I was like, man, how can I still serve the clients that I have, um, served all the clients that might, you know, that come to my dad's shop still. 
for the suspension side of things. So yeah. I was like, well, let's not shock them too much by completely changing the name of the business and let's just change the first letter of Zeal Racing. Uh, the segment was actually called Zeal Suspension. So mm. I was like, let's just name it Feel Suspension. Um, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> uh, and uh, damn, <laughs> you know, yeah, there's, there's, I could create certain meanings for it, but it, you know, it's it was a play on words a little bit too. Obviously, like you yeah. know, you feel suspension. I think um, that works though. I mean, even if that's if that's the story, right? You're like, yeah, you just feel the suspension. Like that's it. Yeah, yeah. To me, I mean, it's special because it was a business that I built with my father, and then I continue to uh, participate in that segment of the business and like pulled away from the rest of the business. So I changed the name just slightly. So, you know. Yeah. It still sense. has a tie, but it's it's enough separation. Like, this is my thing based yeah, off of the thing yeah. that, that was original. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Are you, have you, like, have you done any bike stuff recently? Like, any suspension work? Or is it all just all the cars now? No, we had to... We had to put an end to it. Like we we had customers, even though we weren't advertising much. I stopped going to the track. I stopped doing R and D to do motocross suspension and to be badass at it. You have to go to the racetrack. You have to do testing because these bikes. Okay. Every single year, there's new suspension technology. The bike geometry slightly changes, and like you just have to be out there always doing testing. And it was fun. It was great. But we the automotive segment of field suspension took off so much, and the more I put into that automotive segment, the more it gives back. So I was just being real with myself um, and my brother who works for me. And he, he was very, you know, heavy in servicing the, the power sports segment. Like we not just motocross stuff, but we did stuff for UTVs. And then we just said, you know what, we got to just take that offering out of our, out of our services because it's cannibalizing the amount of service that we could offer our automotive customers. And it was kind of tough. It was really tough to, to do that. So we just yeah. put an end to it. It was, probably like three or four years ago that we just okay. pulled it off. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that recently. I, I, it yeah. was recent, but we really faded out of it. And we just kind of had it open there for the local customers and clients that were just mm -hmm. used to coming to us to just get their fork seals replaced. Like we just had a steady flow, but um, yeah, it was just getting in the way because you have to be properly equipped. You have to have a segment of your area, like prep for that, the right tooling and you know, like if I do anything, I want to do it right, like 100%. Yeah. So we just said, yeah, we're, we don't want to half-ass any part of the services that we offer as a company. So we're just, we're, we're going to close that chapter. Okay. And, uh, yeah. No, that's that's fair. I mean, it's it's better to have done that than to just upset a pre-existing group of people, right? You can kind of just cut it and be like, hey, this is it. This is the last season. It's the last time we're going to be doing this. You know, get your orders in now. And then we're, we're kind of moving on. Yeah, it was such a good gradual fade because, yeah. like I said, with that with servicing like motocross suspension, if you're not really active and in everyone's face at the racetrack, you're just going to stop getting the business. And right. once we stop purposely going to the track and spending time doing that, it kind of weeded itself out. But you know, we still had those long-standing clients that we had to just tell them, like, "Sorry, guys, like <laughs> we're done." Is there a lot that translates over from? Bike suspension into car, like obviously it's similar. Like you've got you know a, a shock and a coil and perches and mounts and stuff like that. But is there yeah. is there things that you've taken from the from that power sports segment that makes the feel suspension so competitive? Like you know, 
it's it's I think that you're giving away the that, secrets here, Jacob. Well, I know. There's <laughs> <laughs> not to be anything particular. No, yeah. absolutely, man. <laughs> we were doing, um, and it's not things that I created. It's just the, the some of the standards in motocross suspension tuning, the way we would shim the shocks and the forks. There was like a certain way you do a supercross suspension setup, a certain way you do an outdoor setup, a certain way okay. you do uh, a setup for a desert. And it changes the way the shock works so dramatically. Knowing mm. that, how to manipulate the shock to do serve so many different disciplines. Um, when I started drifting, I was just like, oh man, like there, there's so many things to try. And sure enough, like some of the things I implemented that we learned from doing motocross stuff worked out really well. Uh, and drifting and road racing and it's just yeah absolutely there's there's stuff that that translates over and I think we put a twist on our valving and the way we design some stuff because of our motocross background like absolutely and it separates us out from you know a lot of the brands that have been doing it maybe for even longer than us but you yeah. know we 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 had a, a very diverse uh I guess knowledge base of, of shocks because of how we started was it was it one of those like you you got into cars um, or just got like got into drifting suspension you know maybe opened something up and you're like what is going like rookies like what are they thinking and then you're immediately like okay okay we just got to do this we got to do that like or was it yeah. more like okay this is how they've adapted but I have some ideas based on this thing and then start to move it over you know the biggest difference. Uh motocross especially if you're racing you don't really come across that many brands that cut corners like crazy and try to uh, cut cost right because it's such a competitive niche um mm. when i got into automotive stuff oh man like <laughs> i remember opening stuff up with my brother and we we're just like dude like what is this like it, there's some really really poorly constructed shocks out there in the automotive field like there's just manufacturers that um, are able to, I think, buy stuff and put their name on it, and they don't even know what's inside of it. And uh, yeah, it just it was it was that that was the biggest surprise transferring over from the motor motorcycle high end, basically shocks to automotive stuff. Just seeing stuff that has a well known brand, but the like the quality like just wasn't there. Um, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> That's just white truth. labeling, white labeling gone wild, right? And it's just like one manufacturer with five different labels on it. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's definitely, obviously, I, I think there might be some smaller margins to play with in the automotive world. So that mm. kind of, you know, that's why maybe we see some of the quality issues that are out there. But it's still surprising, man. Um, whereas, you know, motocross, you, you, you serve one or two fast, good riders wrong. Like your stuff That's sucks it. and then you're, you're done. It's, it's hard to dig out of that hole, man. Yeah. I, as much as I like want to, I've, I've like one more major suspension question as much as like, I feel like I could sit here and do this all day. Cause I, I very much enjoy the technical, very technical side of it. I mean, one of my favorite things to do when I first started filming drifting was very, very tight shots at the wheel. Well, in, in as slow-mo as I could possibly get it out of camera to watch what the wheel was doing, what the suspension was doing, how cars are loading up. It's still one of my favorite things to do is like, you know, watching how the RTR rear end is so different this year than it was last year or how stable certain cars are, or how new guys coming into the sport and like you watch them like run really soft setups and you're like, no, like you can watch the car just like bouncing like crazy. Anyways, um... <laughs> 
I don't know where I was going with this, but what what would you say is the number one thing young drivers are getting wrong with their suspension? Like, what's the one thing where you're like, hey, do this first before you even call me and make sure this is set correctly and then we'll go from there. Yeah, uh, I think riding on bump stop excessively is overlooked (laughs) like crazy because sometimes it's hard to tell like from their like butt dyno, I guess you can call it that that is what's happening, but it Mm -hmm. happens all too often. And then they can try to change the valving, the shock or change the external settings, right? The clickers um, change their alignment and nothing's working. And a lot of the time, the root of the problem is that they're letting the shocks sit on the bump stop for too many parts of the track. And it's inconsistently, completely blowing traction off. So that's so overlooked. And it's such an easy thing to adjust for, like with spring preload. um, How do you even even know that you're doing that? Like you just feel it in the car? Like, is there something you, like a device that you use that like, hey, this is your spring, this is your travel, like the zip tie. I've seen like the zip tie trick used a couple of times. Yeah, no, that's that's a great, easy way to do it. yeah, I mean, the proper way to do it is to put a, a shock like linear sensor on the car and, and monitor yeah. that. But that's kind of it gets kind of cumbersome. There, you know, it's it takes a lot to to figure that out. A, a zip tie trick, um, you know, one really easy way to do it is completely set the shock. If you have shocks that the shock body length is adjustable, like the lower mounts adjustable, you could set the shock length uh, to where the tire would will his, physically hit the inner fender. Uh, without the bump stop hitting it. And you could kind of work backwards from there, like set that up and then monitor if the tire is hitting the inner fender. And then you go, okay, I need bump stop to keep the tire from hitting the inner fender. And then um, before you even introduce bump stop, you could start introducing heavier spring rate, uh, stiffer valving, no bump stop in the picture and see if physically you see tire marks on the inner fender. Once you have that perfect, then... Now you know you can introduce reintroduce a bump stop into that system, <laughs> and go a little softer or mellower on the spring rate on the valving, and then you're you know you're kind of on on the money. But it's tough because every track's different. Like some tracks, yeah, you're loaded on a corner, and then there's a bump exiting that corner when you're ready loaded. So it's like you know throws that whole thing out. Um, but mm. yeah, I mean that's why we have feel adjustable bump stops. It's like a, the coolest thing I feel like that we introduce into the market and it allows you to play with that because I think it's such an overlooked aspect of proper suspension setup. Yeah, it seems, yeah, I've, I've never, I mean, I'm not a suspension guru by any means, but like that's not something that even equates to me when I think of suspension setup as adjustable bump stop. Like it's not, yeah. you think of everything before that one piece. I know it's like the simplest thing though. Like <laughs> it's, you know, like you could have badass uh pistons in your shock like really good valving proper spring rates but if you're sitting on that bump stop every time you load the car like it's you know your shock's physically not doing the work anymore all that energy is going into the bump stop the bump stop could only take so much of that energy they usually could Mm -hmm. only travel like half an inch or three quarters of an inch until they compress and the spring rate goes to infinity and now your tire is just going right back into the ground and deflecting and you got no traction hmm Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, that's our that's the PSA for all the the young guys that hopefully I inspired people to run into their shop right now and look at the inner <laughs> fender and see how much tire mark they're on and yeah. then see how close they are to bump stop just at a static ride. Right 
I really hope that there's like a whole bunch of comments on this section in particular. Where it's just like <laughs> photos of of rubbing tire on the inside of the wheel well, <laughs> ripped open bump stops, like falling apart. Yeah, yeah, that's that's too funny. All right, well, we should should probably get into the actual drifting part of of this. Um, so I I guess the story that I've heard for you getting into drifting, and please correct me if I'm wrong, was literally a friend taking you out to a go-kart track and kind of showing you what this was. Not like actual go-karts, but people drifting on that. And then it was like an instantaneous hook at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I guess I had automotive friends all throughout time that I could remember, but no one out of my automotive friends was like, check out these drifting DVDs or something like that. Yeah, like, you weren't I, an option person, yeah. No, I just, you know, I wasn't. Um, and then uh, there was a shop I was subleasing space from. Um, where I was subleasing space so I can like operate my suspension business. And um, I had my rally car in the corner there as well. And uh, someone stopped by uh, because they were friends with owners of the shop I was subleasing space from. And they stopped by in a, in a skyline that had like ridiculous camber, like poke wheels, like stretch tires. I was like, what the shit is this? Like, this looks ridiculous. Um, And obviously I, gravitated to it. And I was like, what do you do with this thing? You know, like, why does it look like this? Is this a race car? Is this a show car? And he's like, Hey, why don't you come down to uh, Adams Motorsports Park? It's a, a go-kart track that is not far from where the shop was. And yeah, he's like, we jam every Thursday, just come out. Thursday and, night and trips. Yep. Yeah. That person, uh, can you guess who that person was? Ah, uh, no, I don't actually know this. I feel like I should though. Ryan literal. <sighs> no, really? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, he was, you know, he was big in the Inland Empire, the 909. That's like the area code. Um, and that's where Adams Motorsports Park is located. And okay. he happened to live like in between the shop I was working at and Adams <laughs> Motorsports Park. So he would like drive past and uh, happened to stop one day. And I went with him like three times, sat okay. as a passenger. And I was just like, this is so cool. This is so much fun. I, Next time I came out, like after three times of going there, I came out with uh, a crusty S13 that I bought <laughs> off of Craigslist. And uh, I just started from there. It was so much fun. So that'd be uh, like 2009 era? 2008 is when I, I bought the car 2008 on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Solid. Solid. Yeah. I remember going to the crap shack after that with Amy because obviously I needed a <laughs> ride to pick it up. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah and it was it was so uh humbling because that drifting was so freaking difficult like i thought i had good car control coming from doing okay in rally like beating all wheel drive cars in a front wheel drive car like i i thought like this is gonna be cake and uh no it was it was tough especially when you start on a go-kart track that's super technical there's a fence there's light poles like yeah and uh man the kids back then they were just hucking it like it was it was a cool scene at adams motorsports park back in 2008 2009 it was just like like super slam freaking s chassis with rbs or srs in them just like super grungy grassroots and it was just these kids could drive man and it was like to me it was like whoa like the least disciplined type of motorsport I've ever been exposed to. And yeah. these guys just had amazing car control. And that like blew my mind. I really like that vibe 
altogether just got me hooked. Like I was just like, no, like motors, like automotive racing is just like, it's overhyped sometimes. It's like over disciplined, over safe. Like I loved how, like, um, how easy and accessible drifting was like that. That was freaking awesome. And I, I got super hooked. Yeah, that's it's it is. I mean, it's it's always interesting to find where people discovered it. I mean, mine was the first grid life, um, seeing Brian Turk go around in, in the white streetcar at the time. And like it, it literally I I turned to one of my friends, I'm like, oh, this just ruined my life. Like this is this is it. Like I, I knew in that moment seeing him, you know, t- do turn, I think it's two, the big sweeper. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is it. Like I'm stuck on this for the rest of my life now. Thanks. Um that's so funny. It's Ryan Literal. I had no idea. I'm I'm actually shocked that didn't come up in our research. Yeah, I, I've I've said it, you know, um, but you know, there's <laughs> didn't find that article. <laughs> I mean, we did we did find your original WordPress sponsorship uh, website from like 2015. Ooh. That seems like you're still paying for. Uh, just as a heads up, because it's still wow. live. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, you're gonna have to send me the URL. That's cool. <laughs> I I will. I will. It's uh. I I feel like I'll let you clear it first, and you tell me if we can put it in the show notes. But, um, you chronicled basically your entire come up through pro am, um, up until like 2016 or 2017. So nice. like, you want to talk a WordPress about WordPress site or something? This is a WordPress site. Yeah, yeah. You Hell you yeah. basically were like were <laughs> blog. You were vlogging without the video part. Yeah. So man, I miss that vlogging yeah. is like so overrated, man. I <laughs> I miss just like remember what Matt Powers used to do, like just yeah. a nice or like classic well blog, yeah. well written. You know, <laughs> the guy's college educated, right? So yeah, it was just I don't know. There's something about it. Like um, you should bring and it back. I mean, it was, dude, it's it's really good. I think you I think you would get a little emotional in a few spots. There was uh there's a few hard times that were really um noteworthy, uh like your big crash in Las Vegas, um yeah, yeah. where you tried to use Forest Car, but the subframe was not correct. So then was it Tony um Cisneros? <laughs> Cisneros, that's right. Cisneros, For- yeah. Forest had a super awesome green sparkly S13 coupe but he put an S14 subframe in it. Yeah. And we didn't know this until Kevin Wells checked it out. Um, man, <laughs> that was a rough night. That was a rough yeah. night. Yeah, because you guys like rebuilt that entire car to only basically be told at inspection you can't use it. So my car like was done. Like it was pretzel. Yeah. Like uh, Kevin, like it was like, don't even try fixing this. This is done. Uh, he took my helmet, took this like FD uh, tech sticker off my helmet. He's like, you can't use this. Like this hit the roll cage. Like you didn't answer questions when you like, um, you probably had a concussion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, I was, I was in pain. I was on, I think Kyle Mohan had, uh, painkillers and I was just like, give me these. <laughs> like it was, it was a bad night. Uh, so yeah, Tony Cisneros' car. Yeah, we put a lot of work into Forrest's car. Like he, he was like, "Hey, you could use this." Um, just you know, we had to like put safety equipment in it. And then yeah, we we're told like, "Hey, this is not going to work." Borrow Tony Cisneros' car. It was a pro M car, and um, it was missing like second gear, all kinds of stuff. And yeah, we just made you qualified it like thirty first or something. Like just got into it. I had to qualify without a clutch, <laughs> so that was that was. <laughs> it it was like. It was like pro am all over again, but you're trying to 
you like qualify in formula drift with a pro-am car with all the pro-am problems is uh, yeah is rough that's that's awesome well i will definitely send you the link if you're if you're cool with it i'd love to share it because i think it's a it's a great piece of history i i read almost every word of that entire thing and it's long because it was that's part of the reason why i moved the podcast until this day because i wanted to finish the- oh geez <laughs> i had a few things on the go but then i'm like man this is great what a- this is like finding your like yeah. finding someone's MySpace account or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was like finding a journal, like because that's what it was. Like, I mean, you you documented it all, but um, yeah, it, it was it was super cool. But anyways, go, going back, I skipped way ahead, but I'm I'm happy we did. Um, so you you went basically from that crusty S13, as you put it, Adams yeah. Motorsports Park, um, went through prime a prime series. And then essentially into FD in, uh, what, three years. So you were no. 2011 was the first year, right? So I bought the car in 08, drove yeah. it at Adams for like six months, got good enough. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wasn't, good. Wasn't good great. <laughs> uh, and competed in, I competed in Pro-Am 2010. So okay. I competed in like several proms. I think I did 12 competitions that year. I did Vegas Drift, wow. I did Just Drift, and I did the XDC events that were local, you know, because yeah. I didn't have budget to travel to the East Coast. Although XDC offered to put the car on a rig and then I'd have to commit to running their events. And I was just terrified because I was like, I don't have money. Like I'd have to fly and what if like parts break and stuff like that. And then I, so I did one year of Pro-Am and then hopped into... Uh, Formula D in 2011 was my rookie year. Right. Where you got rookie of the year. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think I got 16th overall, but it was, it was, a, it was such a rad uh, season, man. My first season, it was freaking awesome. I think I had like 330 horsepower LS1, like the barrier century were so much slower back in the day. And it was just good driving, man. Like you have to drive hard. Um, you know, you couldn't put all the grip in the car cause you didn't make as much power. And it's not like I was the only one with lower horsepower numbers. Like, you know, everyone made less power. Like it was just, it was a good time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And then things just got crazier. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's like that kind of that Diago era that, that kicks off so much of it. Like I, that that changed the game, man. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being like in FD at that time and watching him walking like, cool, we're just going to lose now. Like every round, like nothing we can do about it. It, it, it shook things up, man. It was like the Achilles tire coming in yeah, and one, two, over threes. a thousand horsepower coming in yeah. and, and just like making use of of the power and the tire. And it was just like, yeah, like we all started spending more money on our cars. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't. It's, it's really one of those, like I always try and break kind of the history of Formula Drift into chunks. And each chunk is almost dictated by somebody coming in and really changing everything. Uh, Daigo, James Dean are, are two of the biggest ones like that just both of those eras right like that it was a complete shift in judging and rules and driving in horsepower and tires like everything in both of them and you, I mean you've gone through both of them now <laughs> like yeah oh. uh, there's some very black and white rules that were in effect and that was tough it was tough it was tough for the sport and yeah. the, like the fans and stuff you know you'd hit a cone and it was like that was a zero a zero like immediately <laughs> yeah it was, it was insane. 
You're driving on, like, sometimes you feel like you're walking on eggshells, you know? Like, you couldn't just huck the car as hard as you'd want to huck it huck it because you, you knew there's very severe consequences for it. Yeah. And then I remember, like, you know, where the camera angle is good enough to dictate that you put a tire on the line or over the line. Like, did the cone get knocked over because of, like, a breeze from the bumper or, <laughs> like, actually hitting the bumper? It was, it was nuts. Yeah. That was also when, like, speed was a huge factor. And, like, at one point, it was, like, a multiplier... Or like like your actual speed and miles per hour was like a I think decimal it was point and stuff. Worth and like up to ten points. So like and if yeah. you don't hit it, you don't get any of them. Like is is interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's gone through like so many changes that like it's it's always funny now when people complain about things, and I'm like, man, like go read up on how it used to be because this is this is a pretty great time, all things considered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I feel bad for the for Formula Drift and the judges when sometimes like someone that comes yeah. in is new to the sport and they're like, haven't you thought about doing this? And it's like, man, these guys have put so much effort into thinking about that and then a million, 101 things around that thing you just brought up and like, you know, give the series, the judges some credit. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough. I know I want to do more um, behind the scenes with that as well because my view being up in the tower and, and sitting with spotters um, and sitting with judges and announcers like and sitting with production just to understand how the show works like my mind has been completely changed the opinions I had going into FD are very different than the ones I have now because of that because it's it's so different um, watching it at home is not nearly the same experience as once you understand how this works no, I mean, you, you seeing the people around you and it's like seeing their stresses, seeing their joys, like it's, and and the hustle, it, it's insane. You know, like yeah. there's so much going on just to get one of these events to to wrap up without uh, too many hiccups. Yeah, without finishing at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so you've driven in a lot of different places over the year. And what I think is is really interesting is the like, 2011, you came in, did fairly well, all things considered. But then 2012, you know, you added Malaysia and Japan to kind of the list. Like, how how quick does that happen? I know Drive Energy had a bit to play in that, but like, what a what a crazy sophomore year for anybody. Yeah, it was it was just a good time, you know, to be <laughs> to be in the sport in general. Um, and I got lucky; I was in the right place at the right time. I didn't get paid out crazy by these, like the energy drink company that I had, you know, but they gave me cool opportunities. They took me to Malaysia, uh, to Indonesia, to an FD Asia event and, mm -hmm. you know, just hung out and met people. And, uh, that's where I met Tengu Dijon and I got to hang out with Dayo Shihara cause he was also sponsored by them. Uh, yep. met Max Arito. Like it was just was such a good time. And I was actually sponsored by a radiator company. And I remember uh, M7 Japan guys like, like met me and the, my title sponsor at the time was around. Like they were the ones that are kind of helping. And they're like, we're going to take Odie from you. <laughs> just straight, like, <laughs> and sure enough, like, yeah, they, they just, you know, they, it happened. Um, yeah. yeah. Drifting, yep, just, <laughs> yeah, drifting was just, uh, yeah, it, it, it opened up the doors to travel and to do so much stuff that I, I didn't have the budget like on a, at a personal level to go and hang out at all these countries and do cool stuff. So it, 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 I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. And 2012 is like where all that started taking off for sure. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine just like 
coming into that season and be like, I've done, this is my first pro year. Okay. Yeah. I'll go here. I'll go there. I'll do all these things. Like, but that's just a saying yes mentality, right? Yeah. And it had to happen. Like, honestly, Jacob, I went into my rookie season without a Excel spreadsheet or anything like that about (laughs) budget. Like if I did that, I knew a hundred percent, I don't have the money to do the whole season. Like we just went into it and we just made it happen. And I like sold off, um, my dirt bikes, I sold off my like WRX that I had, like anything that was cool, that was worth money. Any hobby I had, I, everything like went to fun drifting and 2012, like things started clicking and I'm, I'm so thankful it did because if it didn't, then I had no more stuff to sell and no more things to give up to keep (laughs) drifting. So, yeah, I I guess like, of all the places you've you've driven, does um, I know I'm going to butcher the name Numano Ring, like in Lithuania, really the the biggest track, if not one of the only. Like, how, what what kind of what kind of emotions is that? Like, I I can't even comprehend what that would feel like going back and and being able yeah. to do that. That was uh that was amazing, and I think that was what 2014. It was for EEDC, Eastern European Drift Championship. That was like a cool series back in the day. Um, but it was so much fun. Like, is my home country. So drifting in general, like, got me re kind of reunited with Lithuania, where I'm originally from. Because as I started drifting and um, kind of reaching out to, you know, more of the world, like traveling here and there, these Lithuanian guys, like, also had a big drifting movement going on. And they're like, wait a minute, that guy's name is Lithuanian. I think he's from <laughs> Lithuania. And they're like, we just started messaging back and forth. And like, you know, I got invited to come out and do that event. And um, I have like a solid group, a network of Lithuanian drifters that just like, now I have like even more reason to go back home to Lithuania mm. and hang out. Like that, that really opened up that door to like, just, in general, drifting opened up the door to do, be more global, meet more people. And uh, yeah, it's in for business. Like, so that event at EDC, um, I drove a SC300. They called it a SOAR, you know? Yeah. That's, <laughs> but, I think that's what we call it in Canada too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what it really is. It's just the American, yeah. you know, call it that. Uh, it's just probably heavier and slower in the US. Yeah. But, <laughs> More they, more emissions regulations on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they they were this team in Lithuania was all hyped. They're like, oh, we got this six soar. It's got Shrekier like mirrors because that's what they call the like little carbon mirrors, like two J. Like it's sick. And we just uh, had the owner of Weissfab or one of the partners come down and help us install a Weissfab kit. He stayed up at night, corner balanced it, and I was like sick. And then I hopped in that car, drove it in practice, and I was like this is terrible. Put the <laughs> cut knuckles back on this thing. Like, because it was partially so much uh, my fault. I told him put like seven degrees of caster into it, you know, like not knowing that why stuff has a lot of trail in the knuckle, this and that. So it was like, yeah. user error. Long story short, uh, <laughs> I win the event and I'm just like hanging out with the owner of why that like worked so hard to get this thing like ready. Like he didn't owe us anything to do that. He was just good friends with the team. And he like looks at me, he's like, so uh, you want to do business? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that 
you know, I think he just, I love business. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, he, and yeah, we started, you know, selling a lot of Weissfab in the US. They started distributing field suspension in Europe. And I think he just liked my brutal honesty. You know, I was just like, I don't like the way this drives. And, mm. you know, you know, you know, it was, it was my fault the way that car didn't drive well. Like I just didn't, I directed the team to set it up improperly, mm. but still, despite all that. So yeah, long story short, drifting good, good networking is insane. I owe so much to it. Is, did you, I guess like, did you hold on to any, like, cause you moved over when you were like eight, eight or nine, right? Like fairly young. Yeah. So did you bring any of that culture with you? Was that one of those, like when your family came to America, it was kind of like, no, we're, we're, we're American now. Like I, I've heard both sides of it. I have an uncle who's from the Czech Republic who like his family was like, no, like you're Canadian now. Like you can still keep your heritage for sure, but like they yeah, tried yeah. to to kind of push a bit more of it. Uh, you know, my family uh, was very respectful of, of the U.S. You know, we love it here. That's why we came. Um, mm. But they were also they understood the importance of uh, keeping the language alive. Like for me to learn it, so they actually took. I, I went to school every Saturday, and I freaking hated it because I didn't have Saturdays. But as a as a kid, I'd go to this like Lithuanian school where you, you're taught grammar, history, and, you know, just basically a, a whole nother curriculum to add mm-hmm. to your regular school that you hate so much as a kid. So, uh, but, you know, I'm very thankful for that because I'm like fluent in Lithuanian. I could read, write Lithuanian and helps me right now. Like wow. I could do business with Lithuanians. I could go and hang out with them, drift. And, you know, it's uh, it allows me to, a lot of these dudes, like I, on Instagram and stuff, I messaged back and forth in Lithuanian, which is, I'm so thankful that my parents pushed me to, you know, retain it. I was, uh, I was going to try and do like an opening in Lithuanian and I realized my pronunciation was going to be so bad. I'd offend people. <laughs> I, I tried it with, I did it with Simon in Norwegian, but I, I'd spent a bit of time in Norway. So I was a little more comfortable with it, but it is a very, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like Maori dialect. It's like Spanish, man. It's like, I think Norwegian's hard, man. Like that's <laughs> that that's tough for me. Uh maybe maybe because like I come from French, that like uh I yeah. see I would think so I, but like I, French and Spanish very different. are close. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I I think uh there's harsher uh sounds the in the Lithuanian language, kind of like yeah. Spanish, like there's like the R's, the, the R, you know, yeah. it's like so yeah. I, to me it seems uh it seems easy, obviously, because I'm like that's my <laughs> yeah, first course. language. So yeah. bias there. I, I think the only phrase I had down is uh keep sakasi, which is keep supposed to be. Oh, yeah, like, how's it going? Yeah. All right, yeah. all right, yeah, okay, cool. I should have done it. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I'm so I'm so bad with pronunciations that I'm like, oh, it'd be really cool if I did everybody's intro in the language that like maybe their background. That'd be neat. And then yeah. I get very self-conscious very quickly and I'm like, nah, just I go can't for do it. this. I know, I know, I just need to go for it. But uh, yeah, it was cool. It was like, it was kind of interesting learning about the country, a lot of the customs. Like, do you, do you follow any like the, the Christmas traditions, like the 12 meals without meat in it or the big summer festival? Is that something you're, you're passing along to, to your kids as well? I, I'm lucky that my mom follows it. And so okay. uh, Christmas Eve, we go to my mom's and the, yes, the 12 dishes, which is nuts. And it's I think crazy. they're all uh, vegetarian. Like yeah. there's fish, but no like beef uh, or pork meat. or chicken. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I like that. It's just adds 
you know, like diversity, right? Like it's always cool to pass on things to your kids that are just the more the merrier, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, and yeah, if my mom doesn't do it anymore, I mean, now you got me thinking like, who else? So yeah, maybe we'll adopt it and, and do it. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's good. I know, I know. I like with a lot of Eastern European cultures, like like parents, grandparents are are very crucial in the family structure. So it's it's awesome to hear that like you're able to keep that now as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it. You know, we we hang out with my immediate family a lot here, and I speak Lithuanian to all like my my mom, uh, my dad. My parents are divorced, so there's like two sets okay. of Lithuanian families I get to go. And, and hang out with. Nice, two uh, Christmases. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it, it got so wild that we're traveling so much because, you know, then there's Amy's sets of parents that like Thanksgiving is the only holiday. We don't go anywhere. Everyone comes to our house and it's just oh, a madhouse. Cool. But yeah, you got to do that. Yeah. yeah, I know that feeling. Hey, everybody. Jacob here from the Formula Drift podcast. We have an awesome deal for you. So if you head over to shopfd.com and use coupon code podcast23, you're going to save 20% on any merch. So anything you can find on that website, use podcast23 at shopfd.com. Save yourself 20%. Hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever. Just use the code. Save yourself some money. So why not? You know, don't don't stop listening. Wait till the show's done. But then head over, shopfd.com. Use podcast23. We'll see you guys out there. So um, I, I have to ask about the Genesis because like as somebody who very much enjoys off kilter drifting platforms, which that you strike me is. as a Hyundai Genesis kind of guy. I'm a high Jacob. Hyundai Vloster kind of guy. I, I, I very much like so the three doors. Very close. <laughs> yes. Never, never a Genesis, but I, I have been talking about building a rear wheel drive uh, Veloster for like probably five years now. And I've just never, never done it. A couple of people have now. And I'm so like, okay, how, uh, but the rally cross ones were, or like WRC ones, that's like a completely different animal, right? That's nothing like it. Yeah. And like, I've, I, I've mapped it out. Like I, so I originally came from like Mazda proteges, which the three, two, three variant in Russia came rear wheel drive. So you could ah. swap rear wheel drive those. Um, anyways. So then I'm like, okay, well then you could do a Veloster. And then I'm like looking at suspension. I'm like, oh, we could fit a diff in there. If I punch out the, anyways, I've gone that far. Um, I oh, just, yeah. I like obscure chassis, especially for drifting. Cause like it, I, don't get me wrong. Like I find it very boring to watch a bunch of S chassis go around because they all look the same. They all travel the that, same. Like that's that's the truth, man. I just like <laughs> okay, I cool. love driving so much that I was like, what's the path of least resistance so I could drive the most? Which I get. Like it makes yeah. sense. Like an LS chassis makes sense. Yeah, and now they're not as plentiful, right? Now it's like now it's kind of almost like a rarity, especially in yeah. FD. So. But so why why the Genesis? Why getting into it? And then we'll get to the why getting out of it after. Yeah, there's a brand called Arc Performance that campaigned to Hyundai Genesis and Formula Drift. I don't know if you remember, it was uh, Dennis Merzanis drove one and Pat Morgan right. drove the other. Yeah. Okay. So they they were trying to do their thing. And then uh, my shop was like right down the street from Arc Performance. And I was friends with Dennis Merzanis, one of the guys that like was driving for them. And um, he wasn't going to drive it anymore for them. Um, they expressed some interest to me through, oh man, there's just like in the industry, like I think it was through Nitto. Nitto's guy was super tight with the Arc Performance guy. One thing after another, um, 
our performance is like, hey, we want you to drive this car. We want you to like, you're a good driver. You build cars like we want you to campaign. And I was like, this car looks like a complete turd. And <laughs> the performance, like you guys have struggled. Like this is terrible. Uh, they're like, we're, we'll pay you to drive the car. And we'll, you know, what, how much do you want? And we came to an agreement monetarily. Like it was what I needed uh, to like push my career forward. Like it just yeah. made sense. There was some, um, you know, aspirations that Hyundai will come on board and, and support us. And man, it's a bucket list thing for, I think most drivers to be backed by an OE, you know, and yeah. And Hyundai was up and coming. Like their cars are getting better and better. Like it was like a cool chassis. Um, we took it out testing the drink. The thing drove absolutely terrible. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I got it to bunny hop during a transition somehow because it would wind up and just like fling. Uh, uh, but uh, it was front steer. Like the links in the rear were like in terrible arrangement. Like the geometry is bad, but I saw potential. I was like, okay. no, like this take a shit ton of work, but I could do it. So I said, you know what, guys, let's uh, do this. I'm going to compete in one formula drift round in your Hyundai Genesis. We're going to take that whole time to develop it. I'm going to do international events with it and we'll make the thing better and better and better. And then if it works well and it does well, I will do a full season of formula drift in it. So we did that. We got it working just good enough to where I got it to formula drift long beach round one. I got second place in the car. Um, that people dubbed as the career killer. Like I straight up got messages. Like as soon as I announced it, like, dude, like this is the most terrible idea. <laughs> Odie going straight into pro two, like all this stuff, man. And honestly, that kind of like lit me up. I was just like, you know what? <clears throat> Good. Let me like, show you. People yeah. are doubting it. This is awesome. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to like hammer down and make this thing work. And uh, after that, we flew it to Fuji. I did an event there. Um, it was supposed to go to Canada because that's when the Formula Drift had that like US that uh, world championship. US. Yeah, I, US versus Canada kind of thing. Yeah, the like weekend before I took that thing testing, I broke the crankshaft in half, so it didn't make it to Canada. So I shipped my 240 to Canada instead. But after that, um, we did a full season in Formula Drift with it, and we did well. Like I got a on the podium several times. We won at least one event with it. I think it was at um Seattle in Monroe and we got fourth overall in that season so yeah I mean overall it wasn't bad but I was driving that car every single round itching that I had a shorter wheelbase car that was more nimble and handled better and was okay. a little bit lighter so after that season I was just like I got to get back into an S chassis like I still have so much more as a driver I was like I I, I this is holding me back so I no matter what the money was what the circumstances were, I, I just had to say, no, I can't drive this car anymore. It was a great season. Like, let's continue the arc branding on my S chassis. Like, I'd love to work with you guys, but like, we got to park this car. Wait, I didn't realize the wheelbase was that long. I, I, it's 111 inches. That's yeah. almost a foot longer than my S chassis. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good point. It was tough getting navigating that car, like through the chicane and just like in the burnout box, even like it was, it, it's a big, big vehicle. Hmm. Interesting. I did, yeah, I did not. I did not realize it would be that difficult. Like, it doesn't look that yeah. big. You know what I mean? Because the proportions are cool, right? Like it looks yeah. cool. Everything is cool. The body lines are good, but it's basically like an Infinity G thirty seven. You know, those, those are really yeah. big cars as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, talk to Jonathan Hurst about wheeling one of those bad boys <laughs> around, right? 
<laughs> yeah, man, he did great in that thing. But that was I, every time I saw him drive it, I'm like, I know the struggle. <laughs> it's one of those empathy things. You're like, look, man, it's it gets better at around 99 inch wheelbase. Like everything yeah, will yeah. open up to you. Like, <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah, I was I was curious because like I I had heard like the rumors about it being a career killer. That's a very difficult chassis, but you doing as well as you did, in, and I was kind of like, okay. I, I really wanted to understand the the kind of the in and the out of yeah. how that all happened. And so. I looking back, I, I mean, I love the challenge because it got me out of that my comfort zone, right? And everyone's like, I think it showed that look, I could hop into something else other than an S chassis and, and do well. And it taught me a lot about an S chassis, it made me appreciate the things that I took for granted in the S chassis. And then it also showed me like, hey, there's like there's some serious flaws in an S chassis that are that need to be addressed and. Hence, like now my S chassis are front steer, like the Genesis was, you know, things like that. You get a taste of those like subtle differences and you're like, man, that makes a world of a difference. Hmm. Well, I mean, you're obviously looking significantly better in the, in the S chassis. Um, so I feel like your career has kind of been like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Um, you've, you've come so close on so many occasions, uh, I, I apologize. I'm not trying to like just dump salt in the wound. I'm just trying to like, <laughs> like get get into into that headspace because like yeah, there's been what 2017, 2019 were both third place. 2019 arguably should have been the year. Um, I believe that was the year where you had won like at least a few or podiumed the first three rounds. Uh, there, there was a year yeah. where I think there was two consecutive wins and yeah good podiums, good, just good performance all around. But yeah, yeah, I just, uh, we, I feel like we tried different things and, uh, you know, it just usually towards the tail end of those seasons is when things would just not work out. I'm glad to say things are like shifting around now. There's not like that pattern anymore. Now it's just <laughs> like everyone's so on it, but I don't need, I don't necessarily have that pattern over and over again, where towards the tail end of the season, like things don't work out. Like we've been winning and getting on the podium towards the tail end. We just had some, some bad luck, but everyone has bad luck. You know, it's no excuse. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Was that like it keeps a, keeps me hungry. Was it, was it like a mechanical thing or was it more like a headspace thing or like just you, you kind of get tired or you get into like, you know, retail mode, Black Friday stuff. Like I'm trying to, yeah. Because I mean that's that's a whole stressful time. I don't know how much you guys dive into you know every black, season, black every Friday sales, but <laughs> oh, we do. Yeah, it 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 winds us up pretty good. Uh, yeah, at feels suspension. No, there's every season's different, man. There's there hasn't been something that is carrying over season to season. So if it was, I mean, it almost be easier because then I could just like nip that problem, right? But it's yeah. been it's been different different struggles. Um, but you know, as bummed out as I am about getting third overall or this or that, like at the end of the day, like I'm still, I'm hopeful. Like there's still, I feel like I'm getting better as a driver and it's, you know, I just, it's maybe that's what's keeping me in the sport. You know, like it's like, mm. I'm almost 40 years old and uh, I'm so hungry for it, you know, and it keeps me young and it keeps me going. So maybe there's like a, something in the universe that's preventing me from winning the championship until you know, the absolute last second. It's like not your time yet. Like in in the in the best possible way, right? Where yeah, it's like, no, not yet. Like, you know, you've the t there'll be a day when like this has to happen and it'll be then. Yeah, and who knows? Like I'm 
I know I could do it, but you know, yeah. it's, I'm not going to like get depressed over it. And you know, that's why you see me doing completely different things nowadays. It's like, well, how much can, how many years in a row can I focus just on Odie and like structure my whole program just to be yeah. on me, on my car. And like, you know, at a certain point you're just like, you know what, like, uh, there maybe needs to be a distraction and just like to have something that, that fires you up again. Yeah. So on that, that's an awesome segue, by the way. Um, well, it's just it gets, re- the reality. You know? No, exactly. But I, that brings me into, you know, building out the team because like when I personally, like when I saw you're like, okay, you know, having a prospect driver, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's like, okay, cool. We've got, you know, on the, and you don't have to like agree or get into numbers, but like as a business case, makes a lot of sense. It's also good to be able to kind of try and bring a driver up. You can show proof of concept. Like there's a lot of good benefits to having a prospect driver on your team without having all of the frustration of, of somebody there all the time with you every round, eight rounds. Like it's kind of four rounds. It's a little bit easier, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But then when I saw you're like, oh, now we're adding Simon and we've got Ben, like we've got both. I immediately went to like, holy shit, that's a lot of work. Hopefully he can keep his head in the game. And realistically, the beginning of the season, it didn't look that way. But now I'm wondering if that youthfulness on the team or that, you know, seeing what, what, how Simon's been progressing and how Ben's been progressing, I don't know if that removes doubt or if that is like invigorating or how that shifted your mind. I, you know, I don't think like the other drivers influence me like that um yeah the having a good vibe with younger dudes around is always a plus you know and just seeing how they could quickly become bam optimistic or just so hyped up on the car because the car is making a lot of power and they're just like oh this is the best you know and like that allows me to go these cars are pretty cool (laughs) like i should enjoy it it makes you step away a little bit right like when when somebody else is excited about something that you've more or less just slaved over for for a decade. Right. And it becomes the norm, but you realize it's yeah. not the norm, man. Like not all the cars on grid are on fire a hundred percent of the time. Like, you know, there's definitely tracks where our cars are just like, like if you could handle the car, like you're good. Like they're yeah. just on, on it. Uh, I think if anything, it was just, it's, it's a, it's almost like a distraction, right? Like every driver realistically gets nervous. Like there's a lot of pressure, like just, pressure from sponsors and um at the end of the day like you, you got to live in the moment and have fun and i think having you know more cars on the team and and enjoying kind of the fruits of my labor of, of being okay at building cars and managing cars it it's a great distraction and a great like motivator as well like now um i i, I could enjoy the the, the car building experience and, and, and seeing someone else do really well in it on top of enjoying the driving aspect that I get, that I've been kind of hogging to myself. It felt like for so many years. It's maybe it's like an appreciation of, of your hard work. Like it's hard. Sometimes it's very difficult to appreciate your own hard work because it's, it's easy to fall into the flaws of like, Oh, should have done this better. Oh, I could have been quicker here. I could have done that. But like having somebody like for me with food, right? Like I, I, I enjoy cooking, Love it. Um, you know, I'll eat my own food. I'm like, yeah, fuck, like, I could have done this and that. But I'll cook for other people. I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. I'm like, it's really not though. Like it's good, but it's not incredible. <laughs> but it, it makes me step back and be like, 
okay, I did do a good job. Like I did smoke a whole brisket trackside, you know, starting at 6 a.m. Like I should be happy with the result. That's a, that's an interesting analogy, Jacob. Cause like, yeah, you cook, <laughs> you could cook badass food that tastes really good. And you, then you sit down by yourself and you eat it and you're like, this is delicious. But then cooking for others and yourself is like, it's a whole different experience, right? Yeah. Like, that's, I never I, thought about it that way. That's, that's interesting. I, I, I just try to equate it to my own life. I don't, yeah. there's, I've, I've realized that a lot of the experiences that I'm trying to negotiate by, by chatting with you guys, I'm just never going to have because that's just not my life. So immediately I'm like, okay, what do I know? And how can I relate this so I can somehow have a bit of sympathy for these situations? Because like, I don't know. I don't know what it's like dealing with, with Ben and Simon all the time. Like, I don't know what it's like, you know, having to, to manage the rig and three cars and staffing and business and all that shit all at the same time. Like, <clears throat> I'll never know that. Um, but yeah. you do, and it's often hard to articulate what it's, that's like. It's tough. It's really tough. Um, but I, I feel like that's, I, I, I'm like one of those people that's like always has to keep moving, keep changing, keep evolving. And I feel like that's just like that, that was the, the direction to go that that's where I could only reinvest so much into myself, like, and, and like hopes to win the championship. There, there's, there's only so much more I could physically do. Like, I feel like I'm giving myself a really good shot at it. Um, there's always more you can do, but how much do you of that do you is fun? How much of that do yeah. you want to like, how much do you want to go to the gym and how much do you want to do this and that? Right. Not you gotta like be passionate <laughs> about it too. Yeah. You know, what Matt does is not for everyone. Like that's, you, you gotta, you gotta be like, you know, really passionate about it. So what gets me out of Amy and I like really sat down, uh, this off season and we're like, what do we do? Like we had some serious things that came up and it made us like, you know, we're always reevaluating like our businesses and how we're doing and if we're doing it right. And, and she's like, Odie, what do you want to do? I was like, I, I want to have badass cars driven by badass drivers. And like, that's, that's fun to me. And she's like, <clears throat> that's what gets you out of bed. Like, let's just do it. Let's just build a third car. Let's, let's do it. And, um, yeah. So that the, the motivation is just because it's fun. It's what like motivates me. It's like, it's what keeps me going. And, um, you know, there's obviously other factors in running a, a multi-car team. Like this stuff is not cheap. So, yeah. scaling up like that really uh and and selling those seats like it it can makes your business model all of a sudden more sustainable like it and that's something i've been hunting for as well like i i have a family to feed like i want to be successful and feel suspension successful and i hate pulling time away from that business to go out and try to win the championship in formula drift yes we bring a lot of eyeballs back to fuel suspension helps us sell like really well. It's like one of the greatest marketing, you know, um, techniques that we've ever done for the company's me racing. And, um, I feel guilty if I partake in formula drift and it's not, uh, being treated as like a good lucrative business. So, okay. Three cars makes it more of a sustainable business. And, uh, I, you know, that, that's another factor as well. It just allows you without, I mean, same thing. I don't want to get into like the numbers or anything, but it gives you like, okay, this is how much this seat is. This is how much this seat is. We know no matter what, 
this is the top line budget, or this is the, the amount of money we've got from this point, um, but that's enough to you know, get us to a certain level, then we just have to do the rest. Whereas previously, it's like, okay, I'm assuming like we got to pull money out of one business and that is a sponsorship thing. So, okay, we can move that around, but then we got to fill in all these other spots. And if feel has an issue, now what do I do? Right? Like that's, yeah. it's just that's not it. being diversified as like a, a business, as an investor, right? Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta have, so, and I, I don't like one business robbing another one. Like that's doesn't make sense to me. So, yeah. you know, obviously that's just bad, poor business. Um, and I, I really do like building businesses, like creating business models and stuff like that. So it, you know, this, this seemed like the logical, cool way to go. It's not for everyone, man. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, but yeah. you know, I think I have a knack for it. So like, I, it was absolutely like energizing to like, just go through with it and, and do it. And it's, it's fun, man. It, it, it's what motivates me to just do well. And it mod- motivates me even back at feel suspension too. And I'm like, I come back and like, boys, look what we did. Like, look at the branding. We just put mm-hmm. on everyone's eyeballs back in St. Louis, like all three cars on the podium. Like, it's just, you know, that stuff yeah. works. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy how, what the team looks like now. And I think it's one of those like undeniable things. Like, you know, RTR, everybody thinks of like a drifting team, they think of RTR. And I yeah. think after that round My in particular, crazy. Sorry. that's all good, that's all good. <laughs> I'm surprised mine hasn't yet. Um, he usually hangs out like right behind the camera during podcasts. Um, Nice. Anyways, I, I think I think now after St. Louis, it is very undeniable that the field suspension team is is absolutely top tier. So like that has to be I, I would I would, you know, obviously Ben doing well. He's he's a, a phenomenal driver in basically what is one of the best setup pro cars ever, um, driving in Prospec. Overbill for Prospec for sure. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But like it's worked out well. And then yeah. Obviously, Simon's performance in New Jersey, which that I want to, I very much want to touch on because um, I, what, what is it, what was that like? You and I have had conversations about this, but like I, for everybody else at home, like what is that situation like having to, what, when did you realize you had to battle him? And then what goes through your head at that point? Yeah. I mean, we knew like, obviously looking at the bracket, that's a possibility. And then as soon as I advanced, and uh, knew that he advanced. I was just like, hell yeah. Like this is, so during that event, I got to follow him in practice and we're both in the burnout boxes because there's two burnout boxes. One, lucky, chill out. (laughs) Uh, And I just remember like looking over at the burnout box and seeing one of my built cars with the feel branding on it, doing a simultaneous like tire warm up, And I was just like giggling like inside. Like I was just like, this is so amazing. And then lining up, and uh, like running, following him in tandem, I remember smiling and getting so distracted. I actually like kind of fumbled on a transition because <laughs> it was just so stoked. Like, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. Like what Wardhouse did, I thought was super impressive. And I feel like, you know, like the cars having similar looks, they're both S chassis. It kind of like, I was like, this is kind of similar to that. And um, yeah, it's uh, that, that event before I even battled you know, Simon, I was just like, it was sinking in like, wow, like Simon's a kick, kick ass driver. The cars are working really well. And then, uh, you know, I honestly thought I was going to win battling him. Like I was like, you know, we're pitted in the bracket. It'll probably be okay. But we had, 
uh, I had a few struggles on that track here and there, um, that, you know, sometimes it would bite me a little bit and yeah, Simon was just on it, man. He's, uh, he's a phenomenal driver when he's in the right car. And I think we're all seeing that. And, um, it was a pleasure driving with him and it was a pleasure getting beat by him because dude, that dude was on fire that whole round. Like he was so close to winning the whole thing. I know. Yeah, it was, uh, it was cool. I mean, I, I, I would assume it was very much like a proud Papa kind of moment where you're like, it was and my day wasn't over. Right. Like I got knocked out, um, by Simon and threw my helmet off, like congratulated him and then just got down working on his car, prepping him for, for top four. Like, it was just like, I was like, my day's not over. Like I'm still having fun and like, I'm going to try to make one of my cars win the whole freaking event. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the icing on the cake of, you know, running the team is that if maybe you can't put it together one round, uh, or just have some shitty luck, then (laughs) you you could hopefully see your cars, uh, still make it to the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like just, yeah, getting an extra token in there, like, you know, and it's, it is, it is incredible to see the difference, um, in between those cars, like nothing against the super that he built, but it's just like, he took to that car so quickly and just even like, I think the first practice run in long beach, I was very much sitting there waiting to see what was going to happen. And it like, I was like, Oh cool. He's got this. Like he's good. Like I never, that being said in long beach, if you would have asked me like, is Simon going to podium this year? I'd be like, yeah, probably one, you know, he probably, he's going to do well. He did well in Utah last year, maybe there again. And then like back to back podiums. And now I'm sitting there eating those words. Uh, which I'm super happy about, though. Like, I've, <laughs> yeah. I I very much want to be proven wrong in in so many cases. Um, it was cool to yeah. see during preseason testing, putting him in the car and and uh, him giving us feedback. And I know these cars so well that you know when he was like, "Hey, I want the car to not drive itself so much." I knew exactly what he's talking about. I knew exactly what <laughs> adjustment to make and how much of that adjustment to make. So, um, yeah, it was as becoming evident in preseason testing. Like, I think we're going to have a good season with this guy. And then he's just sure enough, like getting more and more comfortable in the car behind the wheel. And dude, he's a force to be reckoned with, man. Like, it's a, yeah, uh, it's a tough battle with him now. Like he's straight, like he's killing it. Yeah. He's a, he's a quiet killer too. Cause like he's, he's so just, just, I don't know, to himself and quiet and like, doesn't make a fuss or a ruckus. I, I mean, except for when he's happy, that dude yells real loud. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> and the, in the radio, like my guys, after he wins, they have to like peel off the headset and like, okay, he's uh, done. And then back on. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's like in car from Utah or something last year where he's just like slamming on the steering wheel. But I mean, I think that's everyone's reaction. I can't, I can't even imagine how good that has to feel. Like that's, that's oh, like it's, top of the yeah, world. Yeah, it's incredible. And yeah, you got to enjoy the mo- moment and celebrate it in whichever way you do. Like if it's screaming yeah. at all your crew and, <laughs> Like making their ears hurt. That's how you do it. <laughs> Perfect. As long as yeah. everybody knows now, moving forward, what's going to happen, right? Oh, they know. So. They they pry yeah. it back now. Yeah. <laughs> so so where do you go from here? Like the I, the season's not over. You and Simon are both in the points. I mean, very very easily could win a championship. Either one of you, Ben, same thing. I mean, although prospect is wild and anything can happen at any event, but like yeah, what. Yeah, where do you go from here? Like, obviously, you finish the season, but what about after that? Um, well, I mean, honestly, I, 
it's one event at a time, like one step at a time. And yes, 30 points outside of the championship. Ben is about 60 points ahead in first place in prospect. And Simon is just barely some points behind. He's like uh, four or five behind you or something. Like it's not much. No, no, not at all. So yeah, we just got to take one event at a time and just battle hard, man. Just enjoy the moment. Enjoy this high. And and I think we're, the the, the the cars, like, even though, yes, I've been running S chassis for a super long time, they just keep getting better. And we just got to, you know, take advantage of that. Take, squeeze the potential out of them and, and just have fun. And um, yeah, don't, don't look back too much. Just keep enjoying that moment and just look, look towards the future. And uh, yeah, just don't, don't, don't get too serious about it either. Yeah, that's fair. Do you, do you traditionally enjoy Seattle? Like we talked about you, you doing well there before, but like, is that a track you enjoy running? I do. Yeah, I really do enjoy it. It's, it clicks. That track, like it flows well for me. Like it's pretty technical, which I enjoy. Uh, The judges do keep tweaking on the track like every year to year there's like slight differences in the infield and stuff yeah it's okay like it's it it keeps it fun it's a little hard to predict exactly how it's going to be but i enjoy it is is there any track that you don't like driving like if you had to kick one off the calendar what what would it be you know i really didn't like orlando but actually they put like a patch of uh pavement down and it like made it so much smoother it's actually wasn't terrible like uh, I mean, I I love the New Jersey vibe. I love the track owners, but I gotta say that's probably the layout's probably my least favorite. Man, it's uh, wheel speed, vehicle speed is like the lowest out of any round, and it's just you know we're driving thousand horsepower wicked up cars on a pretty tight course. I mean, the mm-hmm. series needs that diversity, but doesn't mean that I have to like that layout the most, you know? That's fair. <clears throat> no, that's fair. Are you are you in the camp of like, these cars are going too fast or too big of tire, we should dial it back? Or are you like, nah, let's just keep going? You know, as a team owner and someone that like wrenches on the car a lot, I'm in the camp of like, hey, let's make these things last longer. Let's like enjoy the driving aspect more and, and maybe stop chasing like what's the stronger differential what's the stronger transmission <laughs> like like i'm you know that's it's been, it's been nuts so yeah um i wouldn't be opposed like to do what some of the european series have done with limiting the tire size to like a i think it's 275 now but things change all the time it used to be 265 like back in mm-hmm. europe in mm-hmm. most of the series i think yeah I, th- I think that would that would help everything a little bit driving style less wear and tear on the car all all of the above yeah and i mean i think the the prospect guy showed us that the 255 can still be fast be aggressive be oh, fun do it that the ben's car absolutely rips like when i you know like jump in it sometimes like i jump in all my cars like during preseason testing i, I drive every single one of them yeah um and yeah that thing just is a freaking rocket ship um yeah, you might have to turn it down a little bit for like tracks like Seattle. Like it's hard to make two laps on a smaller tire, <laughs> like on any tire. Yeah. So on a smaller tire, like, but you know, that's just, we'll figure it out. We would absolutely deal with it. You know, obviously I don't want to put strain on the tire manufacturers. Not every tire manufacturer has a plethora of sizes to choose from. Yeah. So, but I'm sure it could all be figured out. And who knows, maybe that's where it'll move uh, at a certain point. I know Chris, um, 
has brought that up. Like, hey, what do you think of smaller tire? And it makes sense, man. It really does. Yeah. Um, we've all seen so, cars on too gripped up of a tire and it looks, it doesn't look great. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. I feel like that's one of the biggest mistakes that, that guys getting into competition drifting make. I mean, I was just at an event this past weekend and like, I, I watched a couple of cars. I'm like, man, like just in practice, I like went up. I'm like, look, unsolicited advice here. Um, you should probably not run so much toe in. This is a pro-am competition. Like should chill yeah, out a yeah. little bit. Like that doesn't look fun. You're not, you're not enjoying this at all. So being hyper-focused on speed is, is bad. Like, yeah, it just, it, I think it, it stunts your driving like progression because it makes you drive in a box that like doesn't allow you to keep getting better sometimes. It, and yeah. you just take yourself out. <laughs> like that's what happens, you know, on overly yeah. gripped up vehicles. So time and place. Agreed. Agreed. Um, on the, on the tire note, uh, we talked to Matt about it, but I'd, I'd like you to run through when you found out about the Falcon situation kind of dissolving um, and what the following couple of weeks was like. Yeah. I mean, we were driving on the way to winter jam and I got a text message from, um, uh, someone at Falcon that I, you know, had a really good, and still do have a really good relationship with. And he's like, Hey, you know, give me a call when you have time. And I was like, uh, should I, I'm in the car, all my crew, like, should I like call you when, you know, we're not all together in the same space. And he texted me. Yeah. And I was like, shit, this isn't, this is not like, okay. Like this is rare. It's a cold sweat moment where you're like, uh, pull over now. I need to deal with this now. I did exactly that. Like we're trailering like somewhere on, on the five freeway. And I was like, Hey, I got to take this phone call. Can you pull over? And, uh, yeah, like the, I got the bad news on the phone call. It was just like, I couldn't believe it. Like, cause we, we had such a good relationship, like all the drivers and teams I think did, like they took care of us. Right. Like, um, we had a handshake deal lunch, like during the off or before. Yeah. Before, way before that, um, everything was peachy. Everything was groovy. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, that just kind of like came out of nowhere. Um, and yeah, the, I, I got on the call immediately. Um, with Mike Meem from GT Radial. Like I've had a good relationship with Mike Meem. I've actually worked with him in the past. And um, yeah, I was very fortunate that he was just stoked on me. Like he was, you know, it was, um, I think everything lined up for me very well. I got very lucky, I'll tell you that. Um, We just, I think, got accepted with open arms to be a part of the GT Radial uh, like brand. And uh, Mike Meem was like, super stoked about me. And, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, I got very lucky that, you know, I had somewhere to go. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's it coming off kind of like a rough year as well. Like that I'm sure was probably the last thing that you wanted to deal with at that point. There was, yeah, there was a lot, a lot behind the scenes that was happening in my life. Um, right before that happened, like, and I was on the way to winter jam to just kind of like, like just wrap up the year, right? Like as whatever has transpired, like we're going to have fun. Um, I had Eddie with me, who is like my crew chief now. He's like new hire. That was like going to be his first event. Like, and it's a fun event. We lost. 
Carlos, who had been with my team for three years, uh, you know, it was a tough transition. And uh, stuff was happening on the business side at Fuel Suspension that, like, were... It's just business, doing business. Like, things happen. Yeah. But it all happened at the same time. It was like a... It was an avalanche. It was like a snowball that started rolling and just picking up everything in its way. And it was... It was tough. Like, we literally had, you know, like, a meeting like even before the season, like at Irwindale, like the night before qualifying, I had a business meeting with one of our huge clients. And like, we were basically uh, told like, we're losing that deal. Like it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, it, we had uh, some HR shifting at field suspension guys that have been there for six plus years. Like, yeah, it all happens. It's all like, going to happen like and i'm yeah. happy for the people moving on like uh i'm happy happy for the clients and the businesses evolving and doing taking the next steps it just like it was a lot for me and for amy and i to bear and uh falcon icing on the cake <laughs> just like bam just let's pull that <laughs> one out as well so yeah it was it was a tough off season man but it, it lit a fire under my ass and you know this is like it, it, I think it, it kind of something needed to be shaken up to do the crazy things that we're doing now with the three car team. What what gets you through that? Like, obviously I know Amy is your rock. Like, I think there's, there's no denying that, but like, is it that work mentality? You're just like, okay, if everything is against me now, if everything's falling apart, the only thing I can do now is just work harder. Yeah. I always like l- try to look for opportunities when things like that happen. Like it's, you have to like that. That's what you got to do. And if you do it right, you know, you, you sit down and you go, look, we lost this person. He was great. Hey, now we have maybe more capital. Let's find someone with, you know, more skill sets that the business has grown into. And like every single thing that shifts and could be very easily seen as a negative, you have to, you know, count your blessings and then you have to look at the opportunity that is there. So we did exactly that. Like everything that happened that could have very much been just a huge negative. We could have just been like the the victim of, you know, things yeah. happening. Like you just, no, you see the opportunity in it. You know, it, it would have been pretty hard to pull off the field suspension look, the uni, uniform like look as a team if one of my cars was teal and blue and then Simon's was, you know, like it just, that's a good point. Yeah. We, it's been on my mind. It was kind of like a dream thing. And then that just kind of was just like, this is the time to do it. Like now or never, (laughs) you know, like take the opportunity to like, you don't, you, you, you could have this, this look and it could really uh, launch the team in the, the proper way. So like, just take that title spot and run with it. I love too that like you allowed the the kind of like signature color of each driver to come through as well, which like has worked so so like one just looking at the cars it makes it a lot easier. Um, yeah. But two that you know that neon yellow of Simon's your very classic orange, the purple on Ben's like it's it it's really cool to see that from a fan's perspective because I'm like this yeah. is a team but its own very unique vibe for each car. Yeah, I don't want to like rob the drivers of their luck, you know, like they yeah. take ownership of it. They've like built that up over the years of running their own campaign. And I thought that's special. Like, you know, like 
that's something as a team owner I could provide them and understand from my own self, like, hey, there's a look. And I would hope that if I drove, you know, at any time earlier in my career that they were accepting of that as well. And honestly, I don't want the cars to look identical. How confusing would that be to the fan, you know? So it was tough. It, it was out. tough with James Dean and, and Piotr. Like, you, if you yeah. didn't know what to look for, they're like one had a blue roof and one had a red roof. Like, but then they were all blue and red. Like, yeah, I remember yeah. even even as a super fan, there's like a few times where I'm like, uh, oh, right. Okay, that's who it is. Yep, exactly. Nope. Don't want that happening. <laughs> no, no. And I guess, I guess it having those chassis, um, I, I I did take like a pretty tight inspection on. They're not identical, but they're all very close. I think Simon doesn't have a sunroof. You've got the little scoop. There's a couple of little things in the engine bay. I noticed they're a little different. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, but having it's the evolution, most, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Simon's is an S14, right? With a S15. Yeah. Face and butt. Um, same with Ben's. Uh, I drew. I built an S15 for myself because I was just like, I love those cars, man. It's like something about it for me. It's like people like chase like Lamborghinis, Ferraris. I was just like, I, I want an S15. <laughs> like that was, that was <laughs> it. So, um, but yeah, the evolution of the cars is you could, you could see it. You like, I'm sure you, you saw the differences and from Ben's to mine to, to Simon's, they're just built mm. a little differently and they keep on getting, keep on getting better. I, did you like finish Simon's build and then immediately go like, okay, for the next one, I want to do this. <laughs> like, I want to, As you're I want to add it, this. As yeah. we're building it. Uh, Chris from Hoon Performance was a huge help. Like, the offseason was rough, man. We, you know, told Simon, like, hey, if we want to do this, we got to, like, figure it out now. We drafted up an agreement, this and that. January 1st, I basically had the green light. Like, we're doing this. That's not a lot so, of time. Uh, no, it's not a lot of time. Um, what first began as, like, hey, I'm going to, like, fly people in, have them help out. Ended up being uh, Chris canceled his return flight home. Basically <laughs> lived at, at my house for two months and just freaking we railed on the car. I lost 15 pounds in this offseason because I worked my ass off so bad. Um, Holy cow. Yeah, I don't have that much weight to lose. So no, you're, a, not, you're not like a super big dude. So uh, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was a sh very short, tight time frame and we just made it happen. And um and we went testing. We went testing preseason. I'm very stern on that. Like, hey, like make, I will make uh, sacrifices. I will like do what it takes to like maybe not build something as elaborate. And but I will do whatever I can to leave time to go testing and uh, just like shake out the car really good. Yeah. And and I'm sure you you learned so much in that those couple of runs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wish we had more time, but we we pulled it off. <laughs> That's all I got to say. It's I mean it's it's obviously working out pretty well now. So I I yeah I mean I can't parring any any massive disaster or anything else. Like it looks like you guys are well on your way to hopefully both stay in the top five, um, and then see from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That you know the goal is to to win the championship every year, and you know it, we have a chance to do it. So we just gotta keep our head down and, and keep working and, and not get too distracted by that as well. You know, I think that you got to enjoy the moment. I'll just keep reminding you of it every time I see it. Like, hey, you're really close to a championship. Uh, I don't know if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> no. So what do, you, um, what do you feel like your persona is in drifting? And I, I like everybody kind of has their own 
signature, I guess, and what they're known for. Um, I know this is a very difficult thing to ask somebody. And because I have my own general opinion and, and I, maybe I'll reveal that at the end, but I'm curious, like how you feel like you're perceived in, in formula drift. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, I could speak from what I heard, right. From people saying like, Hey, he's like kind of a, a quiet guy and, uh, you know, and he just gets, I guess, lets it all out behind the wheel. So I, <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm more like the common collected and like think things through maybe and more of like calculated. That's kind of what I've been hearing, uh, at least. And it's in line for the most part with how I see myself. Like, um, I think I'm a little quieter. I hear that I'm quieter than I think I am. So that's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can I can see that with there's a lot of very big personalities in the sport. So oh, even absolutely. just somebody somebody who is mild mannered, if you will, <laughs> seems much quieter, you know, in comparison to some of these other characters. Yeah, yeah. We got yeah. we. <laughs> yeah, I don't, we all know that there's yeah there's there's some alpha males in our sport for sure. <laughs> there you go. That's a good way of putting it. There's a good way of putting it. Yeah. The the. Consensus that that I've always heard, and this is a little bit um, biased because uh, she'll kill me already anyways, but you have been my wife's favorite driver ever since she got oh. into drifting, which is super interesting. That um, is, okay, sweet. Yeah, a little weird. I know, it's all good. <laughs> no, we'll get no, over it. But, it's flattering. It's not weird. Like, yeah, I appreciate that. The, the perspective she's always taken, she's like, it was that you are kind of the dad. Like, you are the guy that, as soon as this is over, like as soon as the event's over, I'm, I, I'll pack the cars away, but like, I'm going to go play with the kids and that's going to be the priority. That's, and then maybe that's why I leaned into so much heavy family stuff is to kind of, I guess, prove her right or, or put that suspicion to bed. I'm not sure, but like that, and that's, that's something I've heard quite a lot is like the dad persona very much lives within you. Sorry, my dog keeps on pushing me around, but, uh, it's all good. yeah, I mean, things change. Like, obviously becoming a father is like, it wasn't like that at the beginning of my career. Right. So, yeah. uh, running three cars wasn't at the beginning of my career. It was very <laughs> recent. So yeah, I think that that's just going to be a shifting thing. And, um, no, that's cool. I appreciate that. You know, she sees that because I, I strive to be a good father and, you know, to raise my kids. Right. And, and yeah, there's no hiding that, you know, like if people on my social media want to see it or not, like, tough shit. You're going to see my kids like, cause that's like a huge part of my life, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that. Like I involve my kids in my sport and my businesses, you know, cause I try to spend maximize the amount of time I have, you know, with them all the time. Yeah. What, when do you, is there, is there a sign or something you're looking for to know when you're done like driving FD competitively? Not that I want you to retire, but like you said earlier, obviously like getting closer to 40, building the teams, building badass race cars, like there has to be some thought at some point of going like, okay, I can't do this forever, but at this point is when I think yeah. I'd be ready. So I turn 40 next formula drift round. So I can't quit halfway through In the Seattle? season. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. I will, I will, I will try and remember to bring you a birthday present. <laughs> uh, Honestly, like I've always told myself and told my wife, because we put a lot of energy and effort into this and it's, it's stressful, man. It's like, like it wears on you, right? Like, so, you know, I don't want to do it forever, but 
the day I stopped developing as a driver, the day I like stopped giving a shit that like, what can I do to make myself better and like improve or learn something new? Uh, I'll lose interest in driving like flat out. Um, so as long as I see that, like I, I still have room to grow as a driver learn, that's like interesting to me. That's that keeps me going. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously if I don't lose that and I just get old and like my reflexes slow down and I just start like, you know, not putting it together, then I'll, I'll stop as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I want to keep doing it. I don't want to do it forever. That's fair. That's fair. And I, I think, I think your body will give out well before your passion for learning will. That's, I, I feel like there'll be like a day where like Amy just has to come up to me like, listen, you're getting older. <laughs> like maybe this is the last year. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's, that's what I've been finding. Like, I don't want to stop. Like my youngest brother, um, he was just like, yeah, like we had the same conversation and I was just like, I, we talked about something. I was like, yeah, when I like get old and I'm just like, tired and I just want to slow down and he's like looked at me he's like dude you're never gonna do that I know you're <laughs> like this is not happening so yeah, I hope that's yeah that's how it goes Be, being it's all it's all good um being busy is an addiction like that's something I've kind of yeah. had to come to terms with this year um and and for me unfortunately it came kind of from friends that I hadn't seen in a while where they're like hey like that's cool. You're doing all this stuff, but like, how much time do you get? And I'm like, oh, I don't get any. And like, are you okay with that? And I'm like, I've never thought of that. Like, I just do. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think about it. I just do. I mean, like even like keeping and nurturing things like friends is tough. Like when we get it's a lot of work. So wrapped up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that's a real thing. Yeah. Working your butt off is an addiction. Um, Amy points it out to me that like, yeah, I'm a workaholic. I got a problem, this and that. But, you know, like we we all got some screws loose in our head if we're doing Formula Drift. Like all these drivers work their butt off. Like I see it. I know it. Like these guys are like very disciplined with what how they spend their time. But it's not so much the discipline, it's the passion. And like they just can't stop because it's so much, you know, it's what they love to do. Yeah. No, it's true. It's 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 very hard to stop when you're still enjoying it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm fortunate that I found a way to, you know, support a family doing things that I love to do. And yeah, that's what, what keeps me going. You know, it's not a nine to five. It's, it's not work. It's just, this is what I'd want to be doing if it's work or not. That's completely fair. Well, I don't want to uh, hold you up too much longer. I very much enjoyed that last note because it, it summarizes so much of, of what we talked about. Um, is there, is there anything else like, want to talk about a cover or parting words because your dog my dog's about excited. to pull this microphone off <laughs> <laughs> she's like you have not fed me dinner yeah and uh <laughs> we've been in this room way too long <laughs> um, you've been providing attention to the wrong person <laughs> yeah uh no i mean i get hit up i guess all the time on like social media like hey uh what are the next steps i could do i want to be a pro driver this and that so i i guess um can't answer all those um but I could say now, like, just you got to work your butt off, man. It's not for everyone. And if you like it, uh, you'll just find ways to to get that better car, get those better parts. And you, it's just going to take a lot of work and to just put your mind to it and and just work your butt off. Like, and 
you know, show your friends, like if they're going to be helping you or your employees that like you're willing to put in that time and, and do it and surround yourself with like-minded people. And, and next thing you know, you'll have a team of, you know, people that are working with you and passionate and, and, and helping you achieve that. Yeah. And your, and your team is awesome getting to spend a little bit of time hanging out with them. It's they're, they're a very incredible group of people. They are hilarious. It's, it's, it's tough to find and there's a vetting process and we take it seriously. And we're very fortunate to have really cool guys that are working with me and they, they make things happen. So Yeah. yeah, hats off to those guys. Cool. Uh, well, for everybody at home, thank you for listening. Odie, I really appreciate all the time. I apologize to your dog for keeping keeping him waiting. Sorry, I'm time. just letting her gnaw my hand, literally. <laughs> it's keeping her <laughs> up. No, thank you so much for having me, man. Thanks so yeah, much man. for um, letting me share my story. And like, thanks for digging into like my past and, uh, and educating people about it. You know, that's, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I will, I will definitely send you a link to it right after I end this recording because uh, I think you're going to have a, a good read and, and some nostalgia because it sounds awesome. like you didn't even know it existed, which makes I it forgot, even man. I, I, you know, I, I was doing so many things back in the day, like try to yeah. get sponsorship, this and that. And yeah, now, now I, I remember that I did something like that. I just didn't know it still lives on the internet. It's still there. <laughs> so cool. Um, yeah, for everybody listening at home, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, you get to see the beautiful artwork behind Odie and the trophies. So yeah. uh, if you just listen, make sure to, to watch as well because I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. But um, anyways, thank you again, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Odie, for coming on and we'll catch everybody next week. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cameo. <laughs>